Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. Okay, would you follow along with me as I read from Mark chapter 5? The heading for this is called, uh, Jesus Raises a Dead Girl and Heals a Sick Woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples asked, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They all laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talatha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Mark chapter 5, we have uh, been covering the Gospel of Mark in uh, Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, we spent uh, a couple of weeks, I think, at least on Mark chapter 5. And and I was thinking about what to do uh, for this Sunday morning, and I thought, I enjoyed the story so much. Uh, those poor people on Wednesday nights are going to hear it again. Uh, one of the common themes in Mark chapter 5 is the idea of uncleanness uncleanness. And uh, the story begins in Mark chapter 5 of Jesus going to a Gentile region in the first 20 verses. And when he goes to the Gentile region, the area of the Gerasenes, as he, st- as he comes to the shore, a man comes running out from the tombs and he's possessed by a demon. And he comes running out and he comes up to Jesus and he falls on his feet. What have you to do with me, son of God? Don't torment me. And uh, it's interesting that uh, that is the response that Jesus gets. But as you read through the story, a couple of times, instead of calling it an evil spirit, it actually calls it an unclean spirit. 
It's an unclean spirit this, this man has. And Jesus asks, what is your name? And the demon answers, legion, which means many. Roman legion had 6,000. Now, I, I wonder if the demon has called itself legion just to make itself seem stronger and more powerful than it really is. Maybe there are four of them. I don't know. Right? Four demons. Hey, we're legion. Uh, but uh, Jesus cast the demon out. Before casting it out, the demon says, let us go into the herd of pigs that is nearby. So Jesus says, okay. And the demon goes out, goes into a herd of 2,000 pigs, and immediately the pigs rush down the mountainside into the water, and they drown themselves. Now, I don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why the pigs rush into the water. Let me give you some possibilities. I can't even tell you all the ones we had Wednesday night. That was one of the questions. Why did the pigs do that? <laughs> uh, possibility number one is uh, even pigs can't stand demons. And when the pigs found out they were demon-possessed, they did everything they could to get rid of it, and they drowned themselves. That's, that's the worst answer. By the way, this is the first, this is the first case of deviled ham. Oh, uh, yeah, I know, that's bad. I heard it from somebody else. Another, another, another possibility is uh, demons are simply destructive to people. After all, that's what it had done to this man. It had uh, thrown him around and thrown him into the fire and had him cutting himself and people tried to tie him up and chain him to keep himself safe, and he would break the ropes and break the chains. Uh, demons just like to kill things. Maybe that's why. I suspect the reason why the demons make the pigs run into the water is they want to make Jesus look bad. 2,000 pigs running into the water and drowning. Uh, sure enough, when the townsfolks come up to Jesus, they say, go away from, my, go away from here. Leave our region. Please, leave our region. Because the financial devastation, uh, the loss of livelihood has been tremendous. We don't want Jesus around here if we're going to lose 2,000 pigs. Like, like, how can we recover? So they send Jesus away. But here's the sense of uncleanness in the story. First of all, you have an unclean spirit. You have a man living among the tombs. Graveyards in, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish law are unclean. In fact, they would paint gravestones white or make them out of white stone so that at night, if you were walking through a graveyard, you would not walk over a graveyard. You would know where it was, and you would not walk into a stone, and so they would paint them white or make them out of white stone. So the place is unclean. Plus, it's Gentiles. Jewish law, all Gentiles are unclean because that's just the way they live. And uh, finally, unclean because, hey, we're talking pigs, right? Pigs, Jews can't eat pigs. They are an unclean animal. Jesus leaves the region, goes back to Jewish territory, and that's where we have the story of, the, of, of Jairus. 
You notice uh, verse uh, 21, Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered. He was popular. One of the Jewish synagogue leaders named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. Jewish synagogue required at least 10 male Jewish uh, worshipers, and you would usually choose one to be the leader, and he would look after the scrolls. He would choose who was going to read. He would be in charge of the synagogue. That's this man, important man in the community. And he comes to Jesus, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed, pressed around him. They want to see this. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. That is devastating. Not only do you still have the disease, but you've spent all of your money and you're still getting worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And Jews would have tassels hanging from their robes, uh, commanded in the, in the law, and the tassels would have three white strings and one blue string. And those strings would be wound together, and you would have at least four of those hanging from your clothing. And that's, that's what she touched. She comes up and just touches the little threads hanging down from his clothes. And if I just touch those, she thinks, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Uncleanness in the story. In the Jewish law, a woman who is bleeding is unclean. Anyone she touches is unclean. Lying on her bed makes her bed unclean. Sitting on something makes it unclean. And her clothes become unclean. Uh, and I thought, maybe we should just talk about what it means to be unclean. Bear with me for a second. The unclean laws come from the book of Leviticus, five chapters, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Here are the things that make you clean or unclean. You have clean and unclean food. So eating a, eating a pork, eating bacon. How many of you have had bacon? <laughs> unclean. <laughs> Eat bacon, you're unclean. Uh, if you eat it deliberately, that's bad. Even if you eat it accidentally, like if, if you have a bacon bit on your salad and you didn't know it was there, that makes you unclean. You're unclean for the day. And you have to wash your clothes. And when nighttime comes, you become clean. Uh, if you touch the dead carcass of an animal, you become unclean. So if your dog dies, if your dog were to fall over dead and pick it up, you would be unclean. Uh, I'm sure Brent is unclean often. <laughs> not, that, not that your dogs die when you go to see Brent. <laughs> uh, you're unclean after childbirth. 
You're unclean if you have skin diseases. You're unclean if your house has mold. You're unclean after you have sex between a man and a woman. Uh, You're unclean during your period. Uh, All of these things make you unclean. Now, it seems seems ridiculous to, uh, to us today to have these unclean laws. And uh, actually, many people attack Christianity and Judaism because of these laws. They go, this is absolutely ridiculous that a woman would bear a son and she's unclean for seven days or 14 days. And then she has to have a sacrifice to make her clean again. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that a woman has her period and she's unclean. Ridiculous that you have sex and you're unclean. Now, why have these laws? Let me give you three reasons. I'll give you the first two that aren't, aren't very good, and then I'll give you the best one. That's mine. N.T. Wright, Bishop of Durham, well-known evangelical. Now, he says these unclean laws are necessary because they're given to Israel while they're living in a camp, and they're traveling across the wilderness together. You've got hundreds of thousands of people living in tents close together, And so you have all of these clean and unclean laws to keep disease out of the camp. And so everything is treated very carefully. And as soon as you touch any kind of bodily fluid, you become unclean. You you then get quarantined for the rest of the day. You have to wash your clothes and wash yourself, and then you're clean. Now, there is a certain amount of truth to that. I just watched uh, Ken Burns' documentary on the Civil War again, and 650,000 men died in the U.S. Civil War. More men died in the Civil War than all the other wars the United States have fought. Massive amount. Most of them died because of disease. Just living in an army of 50,000 men, you caught dysentery and all kinds of diseases, just from the close proximity living outside in tents together. The Israelites did not die from disease in the camp because they were fastidious about clean and unclean. Now, that's not the best reason for why we have these laws in the Bible because these laws were not repealed when Israel began to live in towns and villages. In fact, they're still in place in Jesus' day. His mother practiced these laws. A second reason given for the clean and unclean laws is that they picture sin. This is the view of John MacArthur. I just heard him talking about it the other day. He has two hours on Mark chapter 5. There's a picture of sin involved in all of the clean and unclean laws. It pictures sin. It's not saying this is sin. It pictures sin. Now, I don't think that's the best view. Part, part of that's okay. Here's why I don't think it's the best view. Reason number one. Let me give you an example. If your dog or your cat dies and you touch their body, you are unclean. But you're only unclean until the evening and you have to wash your clothes. After that, you're clean. Now, that doesn't make sense for if it's a picture of sin. Here's why. 
for us to deal with sin, two things must be true. Number one, you have to ask for it. You have to be repentant or else there's no forgiveness of sin, right? If you don't acknowledge what you've done wrong, there's no forgiveness. And secondly, if there's no shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Washing your clothes and waiting until the evening is not a picture of sin. Secondly, if a married man and a woman have sex, According to the Old Testament law, they're unclean. Uh, you, see, you see this when uh, the children of Israel go to Mount Sinai. And before they go to Mount Sinai, and God speaks to them. And before God speaks to them, he says, abstain from sexual relations. Because tomorrow, you're meeting with God. Uh, God made sexual relations. They're not sinful. Number three. This is a different example. This one I use. A chief priest, the high priest, could not have a broken bone or a scar on his body. So if, if we were Israelites and you wanted me to say, let's, let's say David can be the high priest, if I had all the other qualifications, I would be disqualified. I've had broken bones. I've had a broken finger, more than one broken finger, multiple broken finger, a broken tailbone, uh, most of them from playing basketball. Uh, I also have had surgery, and I've had a cut down my knee. Uh, that disqualifies me from being a high priest. Now, that's, those aren't sinful things. That takes us to the real reason between about the clean and unclean laws. I think this is the best reason why he gave these laws. Clean and unclean teaches us about God. God is holy, and he's not just holy, he's tremendously holy, and we are not holy. The world is not holy. Living according to the clean laws means you realize God is special, and you order your life treating him as special. But even then, you still cannot approach God. Now you're just clean. Clean means you can begin to approach God. And in order to become holy, there is a next step, and that requires the shedding of blood. And I think the clean and the unclean laws are meant to picture the greatness and the holiness and the perfectness of God. So this woman comes to Jesus, and she's been bleeding for 12 years. She's unclean. Here's what it means in her life. She has not been to the temple for 12 years. She has not been in a crowd for 12 years. At least she shouldn't have been because everyone she touches becomes unclean. She, has, she maybe has not even celebrated Passover with her family. That's huge for Jews, right? You've got to celebrate the Passover. She cannot celebrate the Passover with her family. She's unclean. It would be hard living with a woman always unclean or with a man who is always unclean. Because it means you go to bed, you're unclean. You sit on the same chair, you're unclean. You touch them, I'm unclean. And yet she comes into the crowd and she comes up to Jesus and she touches his clothes. 
a violation of the law. But here's the great thing. Jesus does not become unclean. Because you can't make Jesus unclean. In fact, he transforms her uncleanness. And not only does he make her clean, he heals her and he saves her. All in the same day. Transformative. Story number three. The woman has now interrupted this frantic pace to get to this dying girl. She's sick, 12 years old. And Jesus comes up to the house, and they've already got the professional mourners there. You, used, you, you were supposed to have two, at least two flute players and one whaler. <laughs> and you would pay them. <laughs> this is just their culture. And so they've, probably, they've already started. They're making the noise. Jesus comes up and goes, what's going on here? She is not dead. She's sleeping. And they laugh at him. He doesn't know anything. He's crazy. Ridiculous. Jesus goes in, takes James, John, Peter, and the husband and the wife. And he goes in and he says, Talitha kum. Uh, one of the few places we actually get the exact words Jesus said. But only there in the cross when he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Those are the only exact words we ever know Jesus spoke from Aramaic. And I think Mark gives us those exact words to make them jump off the page. All he says to her is, little girl, get up. And the little girl rises, resurrected, well, and she begins to eat. Now there's uncleanness there too. This is a dead body. Entire house is unclean. You've got a dead body there. Everyone who touches her is unclean. And Jesus has transformed the situation and the uncleanness is gone. Now, by the way, before we get caught up in clean and unclean, Jesus took away all the unclean and clean laws. They were meant to picture something about God. And when Jesus came, we no longer needed that picture. And so all of those clean and unclean laws they're gone. All of the purification laws for making clean or unclean, they're gone. Because we are clean in Jesus Christ. He brings us near. And not only does He make us clean, He makes us holy because He shed His blood for us. The Archbishop of Russia, Bloom, Mr. Bloom, as a young man in communist Russia, he went to talks about Christianity. And uh, when he went to these talks, uh, the presenter was presenting Christianity as if it was true. And Mr. Bloom became furious. He could not believe that someone could actually accept Christianity as true. After all, he was an atheist and a communist. So he went home that night and he got out a Bible. And he thought, I'm going to disprove Christianity and I'm going to show that it's, I'm going to write a paper about how ridiculous it is. And he got out the Gospel of Mark. And he chose Mark because Mark's the shortest one. <laughs> and he thought, if I just take this, I'll read, the, I'll read the Gospel about Jesus. I'll show how Christianity's ridiculous. Now, the crazy thing is, is that 
Mr. Bloom says God has a sense of humor. Because if you want to disprove Christianity and you want to, to make a joke of it, Mark is the best gospel to read because Mark goes straight, Mark goes straight into it. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about uh, Jesus being born of a, of a virgin. He gets in. John the Baptist is saying, make, way to, make, make straight paths for the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is ha- at hand. And Jesus shows up and is baptized. And Jesus is preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Like he gets right into it in Mark. Gets right straight to it. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus means to you. And here's what the cross is all about. He read Mark. And then he read it again. And then he read Matthew. And then he read Luke. And then he read John. And by the next day, he was a Christian. (laughs) And became the Archbishop Archbishop of Russia. Well, today, Mark chapter 5 tells you who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. In the presence of Jesus, uncleanness, Disease and death are gone. All you have to do, believe in Jesus Christ. Now Jesus Christ came and he formed a spiritual kingdom. When he is present here, all of these things, yes, they're physically true. But right now we are in the form of that spiritual kingdom where we can have forgiveness of our sins and one day Jesus Christ will be present And when he shows back up, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to raise us up out of the tomb because there is no death in the presence of Jesus. Well, what what do you have to do today? Well, Mark says you need to have faith. Mark says you need to have faith. The woman says, if I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes, that will do it. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you possible translation of that daughter your faith has saved you same way to translate saving and healing daughter your faith has healed you it saved you go in peace and be freed from your suffering or when Jairus goes my daughter's dead don't bother to teach her your daughter is not alive and Jesus says to him don't be afraid just believe He means just believe that Jesus Christ can solve this issue for you. And Jesus Christ has power over death. So number one, believe. Number two, ask Jesus to save you. Ask Jesus to save you. Lord, I need your help today. I am lost. And I don't have a good relationship with God. I pray that you would save me. Number three. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. Uh, We talked about clean and unclean, but there was a further step than being clean. You could be clean and yet still be a sinner because cleanness has to do with ceremonial cleanness. Inside of us, there is still something wrong. Our lust, Our pride, deception, selfishness, lack of love, lack of love for God. Repent of your sins. 
Tell the, tell, tell the Lord Jesus Christ that you are sorry for what you have done. And finally, demonstrate this through baptism. Demonstrate this through baptism. Uh, we have to throw that in because we got baptismal service next week. <laughs> when the Apostle Peter preached at Pentecost and everyone said after they heard the sermon that Jesus is the Lord in Christ, they go, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Demonstrate that you're giving your life to Jesus and asking him to save you and repenting of your sins. Demonstrate this through baptism so that all can see. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.